morning, James. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing quite well. You? Good. So it's a National School Choice Week. Happy as it National is School Choice Week to you. Every th uh, January. I know this one feels a little different than the ones in past years. What do you think? Well, I don't see as many people waving the yellow scarves now because right. mostly I'm sitting at home. <laughs> right. That's right. And this has been going on for a while, but I do think or I'm reading a lot about how, you know, school choice has become more every man's situation, more ubiquitous, right? So whereas school choice in the past has been like this policy idea about how to take care of kids that are being failed by their public school, we give them choices and they can do something else. But this year, it feels different to me. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, even if you think in Missouri, what school choice has been or what laws have been passed, I mean, it started with charter schools in St. Louis and Kansas City around 2000. Uh, and the idea was these schools are failing. And for many years, the reformers who wanted to push school choice, they looked at test scores. They said, yep. the test scores aren't good. These places are failing. We need to do something to fix the schools. And school choice was thought of as this sort of lever to improve failing schools, which it still might be. I still believe sure. in choice and competition. But what we're seeing now is people saying, I want options. Everyone, everyone needs an option because you have kids in schools that still haven't opened yet. Sure. Uh, and people want options. And so that's becoming more and more, I think, the real push in, in Missouri for school choice is that every family deserves to have a choice. At least one, at least, I mean, at least two to pick from, right? Like at least one other than what the one is that your public school's offering because so many parents are struggling with that this year. And even a bunch of schools did open in person, but now they're sort of closing back down. It's winter, you know, um, people are getting sick or the teacher tests positive. Then we've got 14 days with her quarantine. So they're running into so many problems that a lot of schools are shutting back down. Yeah, the, there, people are frustrated in all kinds of ways, right? Sure. So some schools aren't opening. Some are doing all kinds of things, changing from you know, week to week what they're doing. Yep. Um, some parents are just seeing what their kids are doing Right. And getting frustrated at the lack of quality of what they're covering or, you know, so you're seeing all kinds of things happen and people are just saying we want choices, we want options. And we're seeing increases in the number of people saying they support school choice. So last week you went down to Jefferson City and gave testimony at a uh, hearing of the Education Committee where they're considering giving parents across the state more choices. And what was your feeling in terms of what the legislators are thinking? Yeah, Is there so, a sense? Do you feel it? Well, the funny thing for me is, you know, I feel like an old, uh, I don't want to say the old guard, but an old, uh, I'm trying to think of the right phrase. You know, I started going down to Jefferson City when I first started the Show Me Institute, which is like eight years ago, I think. When I came on as an education policy analyst, I went down for my first time to testify. And I remember going, and it was basically me and lobbyists. Yeah. On both sides, there were a couple lobbyists for school choice. And then you'd get the parade of lobbyists against school choice, the, the teacher, Missouri State Teachers Association, the National Education Association, the school American boards. Federation of Teachers, the School Boards Association, all the education alphabet were down there opposing school choice every time. And the tough, toughest questions I always felt like were for me from um, some of the panel, the people on the Senate or the House Education Committees who were opposed to school choice, they would ask tough questions. And over time, this has slowly changed. And now it's, when you go down to Jefferson City, what you hear more, I think, is parents. There are many yeah. more parents there. 
I've seen that. Some bringing their kids with them from charter schools or from homeschool, or there was a parent this time who said, I had to move school districts to get my kids in a better school. And so you see so many parents, though the lobbyists are there and they're still testifying, but the, the tenor on the committee has changed. Whereas now you see there's video going around of, a, of one senator in Missouri. Uh, I saw that. Really strongly coming at the lobbyists because they're the lobbyists now for these education organizations are getting asked the tough questions. Right. So the throwaway line of like, yeah, you can have school choice as long as you choose a quality school. Is that what he said? Right. And it's like, what's a quality school? And if right. you're in a school that's not a quality school, why can't you choose out of that? He looked, yeah, so uh, he was sweating. <laughs> he, he was, he seemed like he was sweating. And in some places you have school districts where zero students are proficient in either math or English language arts. And the Senator is saying, there aren't quality options there now. How could you possibly, and this is the message that, you know, still does play on that giving people in failed districts options that we were talking about a moment ago. I mean, there is still that piece of it. People sure. shouldn't have to send their kids to a school district where no one is proficient, where not a single kid is proficient. Those people deserve options the most. But you see it from these parents that are there testifying across the state, people in good school districts, in failing school districts, that many more families are wanting options and they're willing to drive to Jefferson City to advocate for it. And so to me, just looking at that comparison over you know, my eight year period of going down almost every year, it's just amazing to me how different the atmosphere is in Jefferson City and around school choice right now. So you think it's gonna happen? Oh my gosh. Prognosticate <laughs> for me. I have, I have been cautiously <laughs> optimistic every year. For far, for far too long. Right. And, it, and it gets more and more, uh, I get more and more optimistic as it seems like every year because it's like yeah. a, the tide is coming in and more I and think more- so more and and it just there's a feeling around Jefferson City and around lawmakers that it's much more of a priority. I mean you see mm -hmm. the leadership uh in Jefferson City saying education reform is a priority. You see very vocal advocates of school choice in both the house and the senate and the opposition who has filibustered stuff in the past are out. And so right. It, you know, it, if you look at the history of, of school choice legislation, for many years, what would happen is there would be a bill and it wouldn't get a hearing. Yeah. Because the leadership would assign it to a committee and the committee chair wouldn't hear it. And then we got to a point where they started having hearings and then they wouldn't bring it up for a vote in the, in the committee or they would bring it up for a vote and it would get voted down in committee. And then, you know, again, the evolution over time, it gets voted out of committee and then it never gets brought up on the floor. So right. it never gets a hearing on the floor of the House or the Senate. Well, last year, or it might've been the past two years, it's mm -hmm. gotten out of committee, it's gotten to the floor and it gets filibustered. And so nothing happens. And, and now that roadblock's out. So it's like, you know, slow, slow progress. You know, I, I was talking to a, a student who was there with his mom testifying testifying in favor of school choice. And I said, I'm sure your teachers taught you about how a bill becomes a law. <laughs> Maybe you watched the Schoolhouse Rock video. Right. That's true, that process. It can just be a lot slower and more boring than the, than the song in Schoolhouse right. Rock, you know? Right. Because that's exactly what happens. It just 
sometimes takes a very long time for that process to play out. And I think we're getting very close to it, maybe making over that final. I hurdle. think so. And also, I do think there's more pressure this year. You know, there was a, a survey taken of Missouri parents in like early mid December. And the percentage of parents who are afraid their kids are behind academically this year went from 7% last year, less than 7% last year to like 38%. So parents are really wow. worried about their kids. And also the percentage of parents who trust the public school system to make the best decisions for their child has gone down precipitously. And about a quarter of parents gave their child's remote learning experience a D or an F. So mm. if the Missouri legislators listen to parents, like the ones that come testify and and parents who are surveyed, I think they should feel more pressure that um, parents aren't happy. And, you know, and around us, the governor of Iowa is anxious to get school choice going there in a big way. Governor of Oklahoma it wants to get it going in a big way. And so I think, you know, we're seeing it more across other states and Missouri doesn't ever want to be first, but we certainly aren't first in this situation. We could just join the pack. So I'm hopeful, but it's a, it is, but it's been a slog to, um, to convince legislators that suburban and rural parents also want school choice and need it, you know, to, to the, the, I guess this is part of your point, but it's like the fourth grade test scores could be off the charts in your kid's school. But if your fourth grader's not doing well, or if your fourth grader, you know, if what the teacher and the staff are offering isn't a good fit, or if like they're being bullied, or if it's just not working, it doesn't matter what the school's test scores are. It's what your kid's experience is. Yeah. I mean, if you're in a school district where 99% of the kids are doing terrific and you're in the 1%, yeah. it still would be nice to have an option, right? Right. So I was, you're talking about parents um, wanting options and lawmakers listening. I was at the gym the other day, I was on the treadmill and I'm looking up at the TVs and, and there was a story, I think on MSNBC, but I can't be for sure about that. But it was talking about the divide between public schools and private schools reopening. And mm -hmm. I can only read the text because I didn't have my headphones. So I'm just trying to read the text and figure out what's going on. And I think what they were saying is, I mean, the statistics are clearly showing private schools are reopening faster than public schools. Right. And what they were claiming was this was partly because of resources, that the private schools had you know, smaller class sizes and more resources where they could make these changes. And so I think the, the person was advocating that we need more resources for the traditional public schools to reopen. And to me, that is completely missing the story. Yeah, that can't it's, be right. <laughs> so to me, the real story is private schools are more likely to listen to parents. That's right. Their parents want their kids in person they want them safely in person, but they want them in person because they have jobs, they have to work. And if you don't offer in person as a private school, why are parents going to pay you right. thousands of dollars for their kid to sit at home when they could sit at home and not pay you anything? You That's know, right. so public, private schools are opening because of parent demand. That's and right. in the private sector, or sorry, in the public sector, you see the teachers unions like in Chicago and other places refusing to go back because they have none of that pressure. They have none of that or very little of that market pressure where parents can choose something else. Yeah. And, and I so don't want to bash teachers or teachers unions, but the teacher union leadership in the last few days have said, even if every teacher is vaccinated in Chicago, they may not go back in the fall because yeah. they won't know about variants. And so if 
they're basically refusing to do their jobs. When I went down to Jefferson City, the, the chair of the Senate Education Committee asked me a question about whether or not choice and competition increases the performance in the traditional public schools. And the point that I made there is I think very applicable to this. I think by and large, public school educators are doing their best. They're working hard, they want to serve kids. I know, I work with public educators all the time. I know very, very few who have said, I went into education just because I you know, wanted to make some money in an easy job, right? Like, and you were, you were one, right? Right, exactly. And my wife is one. They, <clears throat> they, people generally go into the profession because they're good people. They want to help kids, right? So that's clear. At the same time, incentives matter, right? And so at the same time, incentives matter even for good people. And so when you have good people in a system, where they have hardly any incentive to respond to parents, well, they're gonna be less responsive to parents than those same educators in a system that do have incentives to respond to parents. So that's, that's just right. as clear as day. Like right. every bit of research points to incentives mattering. And, and that's the case here. The pu public schools aren't responding to parents because they don't have to as much as private schools. That's right. And there is plenty of research showing that um, competition in education does help that does um, incentivize the traditional public schools to do better and that they do do better. There's plenty right. of that. This is what I, I mean, said. I did my dissertation on that a hundred years ago. And, <laughs> and I remember talking ago, to one superintendent and he was like, I said, have you responded to the charter school opening in your district? Like, no, and I don't have to, I don't plan to. I mean, we moved middle school orientation because theirs was May 1st. So we put ours April 15th. And I was like, so in fact, you did respond. <laughs> like, sir, this is what I'm saying to you. You <laughs> felt the pressure. You moved middle school orientation because you wanted to make sure that the kids signed up for your middle school and not the charter school. Like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. He didn't see it that way, but I'm like, that's what happens. Like, yeah. if you don't have a guaranteed customer base, you got to work for that customer, right. period. Yeah, so. you got to try to find ways to, to get them. And sometimes public schools do this in ways that won't lead to improvement. So maybe it's putting up billboards. Sure. Right? That doesn't necessarily lead to improvement, but it's a way of responding. But yeah. in many cases, they start making changes. They hear from parents that, hey, we want this option or this type of thing. And they start saying, okay, we need to do more of that in our, in our buildings. And so right. we see different kinds of responses, but the fact of the matter remains, they do respond in one way or another, and they respond more with the more pressure that they're facing. And so right. it's clear that incentives matter. And it's clear in this case, when we're thinking about schools responding to COVID, that the private schools are responding to parents' desires and needs much more than public schools are. Right, and it's the parents who can afford them, right? right. So, the, so many parents who have to work can't afford to put their child in a, in a private school or even at the Karate Academy to do virtual school or, or anything. If there isn't a free option, they're really in big trouble and that's in our most disadvantaged districts. And I do think that there, there's, uh, I, you know, I worry about it a lot. I worry about a lot of young kids home alone, just because what are you going to do? Yeah. Well, and I, what I was talking to um, one of the school choice bills sponsors, I asked him what he was hearing around, you know, from his colleagues in terms of opposition and, and some <laughs> of the concern about school choice in Missouri, say an education savings account that would have a scholarship of around $6,700. Some people will say, oh, it's, that's not enough money. It's not enough because private school tuition is, is more than that. So it's really not going to help anyone. And to me, that's, um, 
that's that's a silly argument. Well, first, you know, many private schools, the tuition sixty seven hundred dollars is going to cover it all or almost all. That's of it. right. And the other piece is most private schools offer scholarships already to disadvantaged families, to, to lower That's income right. families. And in, in many places, very few people pay the full sticker price. That's right, <laughs> especially in Catholic schools. And, uh, you know, I was on a website the other day about with Missouri private schools where you could sort of search them and shop them and that they had the tuition. There was at least a hundred and some that the tuition was under $5,000. I mean, there yeah. are a lot of church related schools where the tuition's nowhere close to that. On the other hand, the average spending per student in the public schools in Missouri is 12000 So, you know what I mean? So to say, right. oh, private schools are so expensive. It's like, well, you know, by me, the Brentwood School District spends over 20000 per student. So there is a, a misperception there, I think, in terms of what is actually spent in the public schools, because I think people think that it's not nearly as much as the private schools. And in many cases, it's more. Yeah, right? it's, I would say that's the... The rule, generally speaking, is that the public schools have more resources than the private schools. That's right. So, you know, one thing that I spend way too, I don't know, maybe not too much time, I spend a lot of time on is trying to um, increase the transparency around school performance in Missouri, because I mm -hmm. feel like, you know, the, the State Department of Education, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, or DESE, to me, one of their most fundamental jobs is to collect data on how schools are doing and to publish it and then to help the schools that are not doing well. And I am not convinced that that is being done in the best way possible. So I spend a lot of time looking at Missouri school data. And recently, as I was looking at this, so Missouri, uh, DESE has to identify the bottom 5% of schools in the state. They're called comprehensive. They get comprehensive support. There's about 80 of them or so. Then there's this other list that's targeted. 350 or so, not quite as bad, but targeted for support because they, for the most part, I don't quite understand how Desi identifies them, but they seem to not do well with groups of disadvantaged students. There are more than one school district in Missouri. There, I can think of one, which is Wright City, where the elementary, the middle, and the high school are all on the targeted list. It's a fully accredited district. But there's not one school. They only have three schools. They only have the elementary, middle, and high school. And not one of them is not on the targeted for support or for intervention list. So if you don't know that, and either you buy a house in Wright City, or you just take your little five-year-old out the door and put them on the bus and say, you know, mm -hmm. I hope this goes well, then that to me is um, almost unethical to not let people know that every school in that district is targeted for support. What do you think? I, I agree with you. Well, first off, I want to start with a premise that I agree with you on Desi's primary role or one of their core functions. And I don't understand why um, they don't agree with us. I don't know. <laughs> you know uh, why... I think some of the pressure you mentioned earlier, some of those same pressure groups, you know, pressure Desi, I guess. I don't know. Because it seems so clear that that's a primary responsibility and they're the only or the best I should say organization to do it they're the one that collect all of the data they're the warehouse of the data and so right. it makes sense for them to to do this in a very clear and transparent way and you and I have been saying this for years you could probably go back and listen to our first multiple... podcast <laughs> <laughs> exactly because it, it's just so ridiculous so the work that you're doing the show me institute's doing to try to promote that and publish how well schools are doing, I think is incredibly important. I live, uh, I'm in the Winsville School District, which is sort of 
I think I think it borders Wright City's school district. We might have Warrenton in between. I don't know the where the boundaries are, but you know, I would say if I went around and asked most people or in this area, they would think, oh, the school's fine. Like there's no clear indication that there's a a view in the community the Wright City schools aren't doing great. I would I would venture to guess very few people, if any, would even know the information that you're talking about. I think that's right. And you know, every state's required to do this by law, by federal law right now to identify the comprehensive and targeted. And some states like Nevada, they put together a whole spreadsheet. If you're a parent who wants to look at this, not only can you see that your school is on that, but you can see the particular reason why. It could be low math scores for low-income students or whatever that reason is. And you can take that information and decide if it's important to you. But DESE has a very innocuous definition. It's hard to know why Wright City schools are all on there, but they're all on there. And I don't Mm -hmm. think anyone knows it. Like that's, yeah. that's my thing. And, and because there's no appetite in this state, and I don't, ex- I, I hope the legislators step up on school choice. I don't expect them to step up on this, but because there's no appetite for giving letter grades to schools, like so many other states do, parents will never know. Yeah. They don't know. Yeah. I, th- I think you're right that there is, I mean, the agency that has to do it or should do it doesn't do it. And in fact, it seems like they try to make it hard to understand. I mean, go to the website, try to do a search and try to find out some information and you and I both have PhDs and we have difficulty finding out what they mean. And I have had a couple legislators um, reach out to me for help with that because they said it used to be two, three years ago, it was easier. And I would agree with that two or three, like three years ago, they had a place, an index of data that you could go to and you could say, okay, I'm going to download four-year graduation rates for all the high schools by race. And that was in an index that is now gone. So you can't find the thing you want and maybe it doesn't even exist. And even legislators are very, or some of them are reaching out to me because they think I'll have a better chance finding the data than they will. And that's like- So I'm gonna tie this back to our conversation around school choice because one of the concerns I oftentimes hear is that families aren't smart enough to choose. That they don't have enough, well, they don't have the know-how or they're not with it enough to choose. So. Wouldn't this, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. Isn't this part of it that uh, since parents don't know how good their schools are, it's, we can't give them choices because they'll probably make bad ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hear it all the time. (laughs) Yet they get to pick a doctor, right? Like we don't, we don't give parents that we've decided can't make good decisions, like absolutely no free will. That's the way it works. And I think most parents 95% of parents know when their kids are struggling in school and when the school isn't helping with that struggle. I just think it's a, that's a a straw man argument. And it's also so arrogant to say, and that's kind of (laughs) what that guy said in that clip from the hearing, which is like, well, they could, I guess, pick a school as long as it's a quality school as determined by me that it's a quality school, right? Right. Yeah, that, that is very bothersome to me. Um, I do think that uh, and, and you don't necessarily have to have every parent have all the information they need. Like we have a mutual colleague, Rick Hess, who says it's kind of like you got one person who reads consumer reports and then you go to that person and say, hey, what do you know about big screen TVs? You know what I mean? Like we don't need every parent to have all the information. But as long as parents can talk to each other and say, you know, um, they don't, they're, the third grade teachers at that school are not very good or whatever that is, parents you can get that information out and they know. And there's also plenty of districts across this country, large districts where parents are required, Denver, you have to pick every year. 
New Orleans. You have to go in and put in your top five or your top 10. New York City's done it forever. So well, the, the, the it works. To tie again to, to another part of our conversation about incentives mattering. I mean, right now, parents have little reason to demand information right. because uh, if I'm in Wright City, there's not even another it's school fine. within the district for me to choose. I mean, I could move maybe, but there's no choice. And so right. when people have choice, then they start saying, hey, I need more information. And, and I think that then you would start seeing more demand for DESE or for another organization to, to provide more information. You'd see more people, you know, I always say that, like you were talking about consumer reports, I, I'm not a car guy and I don't look up stuff on cars unless I'm going to shop for a car. Right? And, then, and then I do the research. So until we give people the opportunity to be school shoppers, why do we expect them to start demanding information and to be really good consumers of it? It's only when we give them the opportunity to choose that they're going to start doing those things. And so uh, to me, you give them school choice. And at the same time, we start developing better information for those folks and people will become better shoppers. Yeah, they'll be more savvy. And here's another form of pushback that frustrates me is people will say, well, there aren't any private schools. And right, so you said, where would they go? Like the supply side will never respond to the fact that every right city student could potentially have $6,700 in their pocket to spend at a private school. You don't think any person would say, you know what, I think I'm gonna open a private school. Mm -hmm. And kids aren't gonna come unless it's, they like it, right? They're not gonna come unless I'm offering an education that the parents want and like. So it's gonna have to be pretty good to attract enough kids to keep the school going. But I think there's a lot of, um, tendency in Jefferson City to ignore the supply side reaction, which is like, well, yep. we don't have, in which there are hundreds of rural and suburban private schools in Missouri, to be clear. And mm -hmm. you did an analysis that showed almost 30,000 potential seats in those schools that are open. So that also is a very frustrating argument to me. <laughs> so it sounds like the theme of this, uh, frustration. this podcast <laughs> is the frustration <laughs> podcast. But, but, but I think as we said earlier, I think yeah. we are at a place where we might be less frustrated. I mean, That's right. I, I really do feel like we're moving in the right direction. It feels like there is there is support for school choice. It's growing both, I want to say both organically, you know, among parents saying mm -hmm. we want choice, and it is becoming more forcefully supported by lawmakers. So I'm feeling very good about our chances this session of getting something, and, and I am uh, an all of the above type of guy. Sure. I, you know, give me charter school expansion, give me education savings accounts, give me virtual options, like give me all sure. of the above, I'll take them all. And it feels like all are on the table right now. And if you try to track bills, uh, I gave up tracking bills in Jefferson City a long time ago because oh, yeah. you have all these substitutes and amendments and things change and I never know which way things are going to go. But as of right now, it feels like it's all on the table. I think that's right. And I do think legislators must be hearing from constituents who are like, my own kid only had virtual this year and I hated it. Or my kid had to go in person and it didn't work or this hybrid thing or the switching back and forth. So I think that's right. I, I'm also optimistic more this year than I have been in the past. Um, you know, what's I don't, there's a saying about taking advantage of a crisis, which is not good, you know, but We've literally seen a crisis in public education. And if I was thinking about this this morning, uh, 
I don't know that there will be testing in the 2021 school year. I think if there is, it will be qualified as not being comparable to anything in the past because of what a mess this year has been. There was no testing in the 1920 school year. There was testing in 2018-19 that could be compared, this is in Missouri only, to the year before. That was the first time in like six years that you could compare two years of test scores. There was like the Common Core, like, and they changed the test so many times. Mm. So finally, you could compare 2018-19 to 2017-18. That's out the door because we skipped a year. This year is going to be worthless. Maybe 21-22 will be able to be compared to 22-23. And that's a long time. That's a long time to not know how our schools are doing. And, and so why not trust parents? Yeah. You know what I mean? I will say it's, I, I understand the decision to not use the tests or to not test. Lynn Woodworth is one of my good friends, a college, uh, university of Arkansas alum classmate who is the commissioner at the national center for education statistics. And he helped make the decision Sure. them to not do the NAEP, the National Assessment of Educational Progress this year. And part of his reason for, reasoning for that was, we just can't do it. We, we cannot do it in a way that's going to give us any sort of comparable results. And partly because their sample is a random sample of, sure. of schools, and many would be closed, some you know, wouldn't be in person. So they had all sorts of roadblocks. But I think it's right. I mean, I do think that if you do the test, the results are not going to be comparable, but it does mean, just as you're saying, we're not going to know for a, long for a couple of years how things are shaking out. We're not going to know what sort of learning loss has occurred or what sort of disparities among different groups have risen or you know, taken root or whatever it is. So uh, I, I agree with the decision to do it. I also agree or to not use the testing. I also agree with you in saying, it seems like this is the right time to let parents make some decisions because that's right. You, you were relying state departments of education on tests to help guide the ship. You were using tests to help you know, intervene. Well, at least you said you were, uh, and you can't do that now. So let's, let's trust parents a little bit more to make the choices for their kids. And to me, that's a really a big part of what school choice comes down to is, is trusting parents to make choices for their kids and, yep. and trusting that through the market, through choice and competition, through, um, and not just competition, but through parents navigating a system together that we can collectively make good decisions and improve individuals' lives and the system overall. What a great way to end. That was, I liked that summary statement. I think that's, well, we'll check back maybe in May, late May, early June. See uh, if, we... if something passes, we could be wearing our party hats. And our yellow scarves. There, yeah, there we go. National School Choice Week. Thanks, James. Great to talk to you as always. You as well. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Institute podcast. Find more at showmeinstitute.org. Thank you.